this service is a little different from your typical Mother's Day service. Um, I'm probably not going to have any warm, fuzzy stories that bring tears to our eyes and the warmth of motherhood and, and things. We, those of you that are a part of our church know we've been in a series called Code of Honor for the last, this is going to be the sixth week now in our final week, and I'm going to finish this up. I've intentionally saved uh, this message for last because I think if we take anything away from what we've spoken over the last six weeks, if we can grasp this, I think it will change our lives. It'll change our families' lives. And I want to speak to you today about honor in the home and restoring honor in our home. I, as I was preparing for this message, I thought, you know, this isn't really a Mother's Day message, Lord, but I, I felt compelled to do it anyway. And in light of this, I know women, I know my wife, I know my mother, and I know the heart of a mother. The heart of the mother is to have a home that's peaceful. The heart of a mother is to have a home that serves God, to see her children grow old and, and to accomplish much, not only in their personal lives, but in the things that they have taught them in the kingdom of God. And today, I, I want to speak to you about restoring honor to our home, because what a wonderful gift for Mother's Day is for our homes to be peaceful and full of the presence of God. As I was preparing also, at 1 Samuel chapter 30, I, I was re, God reminded me and spoke to me of David, who was sent back from a battle and returned to Ziklag where his, his, uh, men's, his wife and kids and all of his men's wives and kids were there. And, and when he returned back, he found that the Amalekites had come in and burnt the village and had stolen away the wives and children of him and his men. And David was wounded in his spirit and, and cried aloud and wept unto God. And, and the scripture says until he really couldn't weep anymore. He just was so emptied. Have you ever been there before? And he finally, his men turned on him and said, we're going to kill you. And he sought God and God said, go after. Go after your wives and your children. And so David went after and we know that he conquered the enemy. He went into the enemy's camp, amen, and he took back what he stole from me. He went in and he got his wives, he got his kids. Not one was lost, is what the scripture said. Not one. And as the Spirit of God spoke to me about this and reminded me about this in this message, he says, Bob, you know, America is in the same condition. The men have gone off and worried about their, their, their jobs. They've gone off and worried about their entertainment. People have, have placed their children in a, in a foreign land here in front of a television to be raised up in. And then all of a sudden, the enemy, when nobody was looking, nobody was thinking about it, came in and stole away what was precious to them. In America, the family is getting destroyed day by day. We're so busy, church. We've got so many things going on. We've got so many places we have to be. We've got so many school, church, and, and uh, functions for our kids and sports and stuff. And it just consumes all of our time. And then we wonder, say, what happened to my family? There's not peace. Amen. This morning while they were singing that, I, I melt in your peace. Again, I just was being ministered to and the Spirit of God was showing me a fence, a pasture, a green pasture that we can rest inside of, the, the confines of the Word of God to live by His laws and by His rules and, and who He is that we can have peace. 
You see, we've, we've kind of thrown away the things of God. We've pursued our own, our own desires and our own wants, and we come back to our home, and we think, what in the world has happened? Can I tell you this morning, the enemy would love for you to continue with the thought that says, my family's odd, my family's the only family with issues. Can I tell you something? We all got issues. Every family represented in this house today, every family, every home has got some kind of family conflict or issue that you're dealing with. I don't care who you are. You could be the pastor. You got some kind of family conflict that you're dealing with. We all know people that have written off parents and parents written off kids, and I'm not going to talk to that one. I'm not going to that reunion. I'm not going over to that house because that so-and-so's there. And this one. Listen, we've all got problems, and you can, you can trace it all the way back. You can blame it on your parents. You can blame it on your grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever you want. You go to the book of Genesis, and you find the source of it. Amen. The very first family was dysfunctional. And it was because it was full of dishonor. Every ounce of it. God made everything. Scripture says He made it all good. It was all good. The sunshine, the trees, the grass, the cattle, ribeye. Whatever you want to say, it's all good. The fish are good. It's all good. Amen? And God made it all good. And He made man good. He made man good. But man, Eve, goes into the garden, sees a serpent, and the serpent says... You can have the tree. You can, you can eat from this tree. Did God really say? starts questioning. Did God really say? And she said, well, he said, I can eat from all these trees. But this one, he said, is because God's restricting you. God doesn't want you to be like him. And Eve had a desire for wisdom. So she took it and she's like, you know what? Maybe God is unjust. Maybe God is harsh. Maybe I'm going to do it my own way. You see, that's the, the problem is, is, is we dishonored God in America. We have voices all over America that's telling the family and questioning, questioning our roles, questioning who God said we are to be, questioning what the Word of God says and telling you, say, well, did, did God really say this? Did God really say that? And can I tell you this morning that that voice still rings loud and clear in our society today? An attitude of questioning God. Eve dishonored God, dishonored His rules, dishonored who He was because she had desires of her own. So then she takes it to Adam. And Adam takes it and he had an opportunity as the head, as the leader, who the one who had heard from God, their eyes were open after he ate. He had the opportunity to say, Eve, oh no, 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 we don't do that. God wants us to be holy. God doesn't want us to find our own way. God, but he instead, he dishonored God by ignoring his law and he dishonored his wife by not fulfilling his role of leadership. Yeah. And he ate and their eyes were opened, and dysfunction, and discontent, and dishonoring God settled into their family through sin. So then when God confronts them, they did the same thing we do. God said, Adam, where are you hiding? What happened? Did you eat of the tree? And, and Adam said, well, it was because of this woman you gave me. There's this woman you gave me. You know, you know a little while back, I was excited. I'm saying, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Ha <laughs> ha, woman. He was excited, and then now all of a sudden it's that woman's fault. Everything was fine until you brought this woman around. He looks at Eve and says, is that true? And she said, well, and she follows her leadership. It wasn't my fault, it was a serpent's fault. You see, and then it carries on from there. Today, don't we do the same thing? God, you know my house would be full of peace if this woman would just shut up. That's your house, not mine. I would never say anything like that. 
God, my house would be peaceful and I wouldn't have to yell so much if that husband would get out of the chair and do something occasionally. And oh God, our house would be peaceful if these kids, it's these kids, I cannot wait for these kids to get out of my house. We've all said it to some extent. We've all passed blame. But can I tell you today that we are not here to pass blame today. It's time to rip the mask off of our homes and to be real with what we deal with on a daily basis. It's time to quit putting on the smiley face and come to church and it's all wonderful. Listen, it carries over. Our children are watching us. And our children see our dysfunction. And pretty soon everybody just says, ah, that's just kind of the way it is. It's carried out all through eternity, all through the past, not eternity, but from the beginning to now, think about it. It moved on to Cain and Abel, their children. Dysfunction. One wanted to serve God his own way. The other was serving God the way God said to. One gets mad and kills the other. Dysfunction. Carried up to Noah and Ham. Ham, his son Noah, he, after the flood, he builds a vineyard and he goes, huh, I'm going to drink this. Uh, he drinks the wine and gets drunk and he's laying naked in his tent. Ham walks in and finds him. Instead of honoring his father and covering him up, he walks out and makes fun of him and starts talking to his brothers. His brothers back in and cover him up. They end up being blessed. And Ham is cursed. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Was there dysfunction there? Yeah. A little bit. Sleep with my handmaid. Okay. Tell me Abraham wasn't living in his leadership role in that situation. A little bit selfish in that situation. And he brought upon himself trouble even to this day. You don't have to look through Scripture too far. You don't have to look too deep to see that Joseph had issues. Was there family dispute there? What about David's life? He was a murderer and an adulterer. His children, his son tried to take over his throne. Were there issues? Think about Solomon. How many wives and concubines do you have? Were there family? I guarantee you, if you have 700 and some wives and concubines, there's going to be some kind of dispute and disorder in that home. <laughs> it is not going to work out. Somebody's making a bad decision. I don't know. That's not going to work out. Listen, church, it's not to us to throw it all off and say, well, those people had dysfunction. They were used of God. We don't need to deal with it. The Spirit of God wants us to, to deal with our family issues with honor. Because our family is a representation of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture over and over and over makes that connection. Makes the connection that we are the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, when Israel would veer off their path and they would begin to serve other gods, God would re refer to them as adulterous, reminding them of the covenant that He had with them. You see, God wants our family to be a family that represents Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about how honor flows up, it flows down, it flows side to side, making a cross, representing the fact that if honor flows in all directions, people will see Christ and who we are, and it will impact the society that we live in. So this morning, I want to speak to you five things. Everybody say five things. Five things. I counted and got it right after the first service. I had my numbers messed up. But. Five things that will help us to fight to restore honor to our homes. We cannot, church, we cannot just go on as things are in our culture and not fight for our family. The enemy is stealing away the family. 
The enemy is doing what he can to weasel into homes and work and divide husband against wife and children against children and parents against children. What does the scripture say about when the prophet comes, when the Messiah comes, about even the one that precedes him to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the father? He's going, the God wants us to have good family relationships. You're all too quiet today. I know it's Mother's Day and you wanted this really warm, fuzzy Mother's Day teary-eyed message, but it's just not happening. I'm sorry. Number one, restoring honor to the home means we need to honor the Heavenly Father in our homes once again. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. As I read this passage, the word fixed jumps out at me. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols. Listen, this morning we need to understand that when Moses spoke this to the people, he was handing over the reins of leadership to Joshua. They were at the edge of the Jordan River. They were preparing to go into the promised land. And he says, before you go, you need to fix these things in your mind. You've got to have them fixed in your heart. Why do we have to have them fixed in our heart? He goes through and explains to them the holiness of God. He explains to them the importance of the Ten Commandments and living this out in this new land. Because they were crossing the Jordan River, and when they get to the other side, they're going to face giants, they're going to face Jericho, they're going to face all these obstacles and all the problems that they didn't have to face as much of in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, Moses is saying, look, if you're going to go in there and you want to live there and you want to possess it, you better understand the commands of God. You better understand who your God is. You better understand who your Father is before you cross that river. Because it's got to be fixed. And how many of us know when something's fixed, it's unmovable? If something's fixed, it's not changed, it's not shifted, it's not bent. And here in America, our tendency is to take the Word of God and bend it to our own need and to shift it to match our culture and to throw out the things that are, comfort- that are not comfortable and-, and to receive the things that we like and, and exalt certain passages and-, and minimize others. Listen to me, my friends. If we are going to impact this culture, we have got to reestablish God in our home. The Word of God has got to be fixed in the hearts of our minds and our children's minds. And I'll tell you why. Because our little kids, every morning we get up, we brush their hair, we feed them breakfast, we put their little backpack on, we take them out to the bus, and we set them on the bus, and we wave by as they head to the school. They cross the Jordan River, and they're faced with giants, they're faced with Jerichos, they're faced with the voice of a serpent that's saying, did God really say? It's time for us to not set back and act like it's all going to be okay. We'll bring them to church once, twice a week, and that's going to disciple them. It is not my job. It is not Pastor Sam's job. It's not a Sunday school teacher's job to disciple our children, folks. It's supposed to happen in the home. And it's supposed to happen all the time. If you look at that passage, it says, teach them. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many. Listen, it doesn't matter. It's all times there's an opportunity to teach our children. 
How difficult is it for us to open the Word of God and set a foundation and fix it in the hearts of the lives of our children and say, this is why mommy and daddy don't watch certain things. This is why mommy and dad are your church. This is why mom and dad don't lie. This is why mom and dad don't steal. This is why mom and dad don't commit adultery. And you start going through these things and explain to them the holiness of God so that when they walk out the doors of your home and of my home, they go out with a full understanding that's fixed in their heart and in their mind and they understand that this is who God is. I will not change this. You see, I used to walk in and out of the door of my house when mom and dad were over at the old house and there was this little metal plate that was on the door and I can vividly remember, it's probably still there, the the corners are curled up and everything else and I think I cut myself on it once or twice going in and out the door. But it said very clearly, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then it said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what Joshua said following this time with with Moses. Before they went into the promised land, he said, make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods of your fathers, the dead gods of your fathers that they served in the past? Are you going to serve God? I and myself, I'm going to make a decision. As for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, Pastor Bob, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable praying and reading with my children. My friend, I'm sure David was uncomfortable having to climb on a horse or whatever, camel or run, whatever, to go fight and take back his wife and children. But he did it because they were valuable. He honored them by fighting for them. I challenge you today, men, women, whoever, I challenge you as your pastor, do you love your children? Do you love your wife? Do you love your husband enough to encourage the Word of God to be the source of all teaching, all discipline, all direction for your home? If it's uncomfortable to you, come see me. I'll help get you some resources. If it's hard for you, come see me. I'll help disciple you and help you get ready to do that. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, this is the most vital and important thing for you is to teach your family to honor up and to honor God. Number two, Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't want to turn there, they'll be on the screen too. But Restoring honor in the home means we need to honor our mother and father. We need to honor up by honoring our mother and father. Ephesians 6 says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Children, obey your parents. My daughter had a CD. We got her at couples retreat that says, uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, for this is right. And then it goes through that whole verse and puts it to a song and, and she actually sang it when she was in kindergarten and got third place at North Vermillion for the talent show. But anyway, uh, anyway, I, I remember vividly one day, how many of us have had kids and all kids throw fits? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Put your hand down, mom. Uh, kids, Kevin, Kevin threw a fit one day. I know it's hard to believe, but Kevin threw a fit when he was little, and Alyssa was probably six, and he was really mad at us. I'm sure we did something horribly wrong. I don't know, but uh, we sent him to his room, and he was in his room throwing a fit. He was mad. He was furious, and Alyssa got sick of hearing it, and her room is like right next to, I mean, it's a corner. His door opens that way, and her door opens that way, and so she goes in there, and she puts that song on, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and cranks it up. And April and I are in the hallway going, we're laughing. And Kevin's like, make her shut it off. Submit to the word of the Lord. 
You know, we always look at the kids when it comes to this passage. How many parents have said, you're to honor your mother and father. You're going to obey because the Word of God says you're going to obey. How many has ever used that before? Am I, oh, I'm the only one. Okay, that's nice. I'm the only one. Some of you all need to read your Bible. It helps you get things done. But anyway, you say you're picking on the kids, Pastor Bob. Why do you wait for the kids to be in here? Oh, I hope my teenagers listen to that. You honor your mother and father. Can I ask everybody in the room, who's got or has had a mother and a father? Raise your hand. Put your hands down. Good. I was afraid maybe there might have been somebody hatched or something like that. I didn't know. Some kind of a weird thing. I, this passage is spoken to children because the children is the age when we should learn it. Come on now. It doesn't mean when we turn 18 we set that aside. Uh-oh, I just offended 60% of the congregation. Your parents... We throw it in our kid's face. You want to have a long life on the earth? You need to honor me and obey me. But yet we get to be 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. We think, oh, my mom and dad, they're not my mom and dad. They don't have to tell me what to do. I'm on my own life. I can live my own life. I got my own job. I got my own car. I got my own place. Nobody can tell me what to do. But listen, that doesn't void out the fact that you should have captured the heart of your father, God, and honor your mother and father when you become an adult. You see, people throw it out. How many of us have known people that they, they, they get furious with their parents and they have little kids and say, you're not going to go see grandma and grandpa because I don't like grandma and grandpa. You are dishonoring your parents. And according to scripture, you're not going to be blessed. And according to scripture, your children are watching you and they're going to do the same thing to you. According to the word of God, we've got to honor our parents. Well, how do I honor my parents when I'm old? According to scripture, it says, says that we are to actually have that verse in here. It says, Paul told Timothy, he said that we are supposed to, if anyone does not provide his, for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He was speaking that to him in light of widows, in light of those that are older and, and, and need somebody to care for them. And so, in other words, don't just throw it on the church to do it. It's your responsibility. It's your family. And if you're not willing to help take care of them, you're worse than an unbeliever. Don't call yourself a Christian. We honor our parents, whether we're children, whether we're young adults, whether we're middle-aged, or whether they're gone to be with the Lord. We honor our parents even if they no longer are alive. I think of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Solomon was... One of the greatest kings ever to live. Wise man, he had his issues. Amen, we already said that, got issues. His son, Rehoboam, takes over in, in probably just an attitude of a young man that thinks he knows it all. And he's opportunity to lead, and he says, hey, you know, they said, hey, look, Rehoboam, we, our father had a pretty harsh, pretty heavy burden on us. Is there any way you can lighten it, or what are you going to do? And he said, he goes, he goes, I don't know. He listens to the advisors of his, his father who had served his father. Then he listens to his friends and his friends say, you know what? Tell him your little finger's thicker than your father's and you're going to double the burden and, and put it on the people. And he followed and obeyed the attitude and heart of rebellious young people. And the kingdom was divided. You say, what's, what's the problem? The problem is this, that when we mature and grow up, even when our parents are gone, we have a responsibility to carry on the heart and attitude that they have instilled in us. You say, what, what's the big deal? Have you ever dealt with a family when a parent has passed away and the kids are fighting over the stuff? 
Have you seen families divided after mom and dad are gone? And you think, oh, if mom and dad would have been here, they wouldn't have been acting this way. It's because they still hold on to a childish, rebellious heart that doesn't honor them or glorify God. (laughs) Can I tell you that people are watching you, your children are watching you? I know the stuff's nice. I got dibs on a World War II dagger that was my grandpa's, and I already told everybody, that's mine. (laughs) It's mine. They know to keep their hands off of it. But I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do. If somebody else comes in and takes it, I'm not going to fight them for it. It's not worth that. Because my parents have established in their entire life, called for peace, have called for unity, have called for us to get along and to love one another. The last thing I will do is dishonor my parents when they're gone by fighting over stuff. Why? Because it's too, my kids are too important to me for them to see me fighting over stuff. Because by fighting over stuff, I'm telling my kids that these things are more valuable than the dear people that we loved that have gone to be with the Lord. Church, we've got to grab the heart of our parents. We cannot disrespect and dishonor them and think that anything good is going to come into our lives. Thirdly, we've got to fight. Continuing to honor up, restoring honor to the home means we must live in our defined roles as stated in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, verse 21, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now everybody's offended. Pastor Bob, it's Mother's Day. Don't tell me I got to submit to that man again. Listen, We've already discussed, if you've been here over the last five weeks, you understand that submission is an attitude of the heart. It's of the heart. Good try, though, Amy. It's of the heart. Submission is an attitude of reverence and love. It's not, it's not just an action. It's not obedience. It doesn't mean that you're a robot and that everything he tells you to do, you just submit and do it. It means that you love your husband because he's valuable. Can I tell you, your children are watching you? Your children are watching you. And every time that you disrespect him, whether it be to his face or or to his back, behind his back, your children are watching and they're convinced that their dad is not valuable. He's not honored. He's not worth honoring. You say, but Pastor Bob, my husband's a jerk. My husband's he doesn't know the Lord. He can't lead my family. He can't do this. First Peter 3 says this, wives, in verse 1, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You say, what is that saying? Does that mean that you can't wear braided hair and gold jewelry? Listen, people of the past have taken that and used it as bondage to tell you how you have to dress, okay? That's not what that's talking about. What that's talking about is, is don't try to win your husband over but with some kind of a false outward appearance. You see, when we're dating, when you're dating, you know, you get all, the, you get all 
crimped up. Back in the 80s, my wife's hair was as big. And I was like, man, she'd be looking fine. And I got, I had the mullet going on and stuff, and I would, I would shave most of my peach fuzz, but I'd leave that little black part right there because it made me look manly, you know? You try to make yourself look good, you put on deodorant, you brush your teeth, do all the stuff, you know, and you look good. But can I tell you that when you marry somebody, <laughs> be careful. You wake up, and that hair that was like this is now like this. You know? And the teeth hadn't been brushed yet, so there's a faint hint of an odor. Makeup's kind of smeared, you know, all this stuff. This is life. When you marry that person, you better make sure you love the person on the inside because the outside changes. Can I get an amen? And I'm speaking just from her perspective about me, of course, too. Hairline recedes, bald spot begins to develop. My point is this. An outward appearance is not going to change their love for God. But if you allow yourself, ladies, to follow the word of God, obey it, allow it to change you on the inside, whether you are smelly, unshaven, whatever in your face, I don't care. The spirit of God is going to minister to that man when you treat him like the word of God has called you to treat him. And you will reap the rewards because the bigger issue is, is that he's going to come to Christ and then he's going to fulfill the role that he's called to fulfill. Amen. And all the while your children are watching you. Moms, don't go around behind dad's back. And if dad doesn't approve of something and the kids want to do it, tell them to go ahead and do it. It'll be our little secret. Don't do that. Because you're teaching your children rebellion and they'll dishonor their father. I need to move on. Fourthly, husbands, we need to honor down. Husbands, with authority comes great responsibility. 1 Peter 3 says this, verse 7, Husbands, in the same way be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, in the same way be considerate. If you're going to honor, expect your wife to honor you, if you're going to expect them to treat you with respect, how many of us know we, over the last four or five weeks, we've spoken about the responsibility of authority and leadership. Who establishes all authority and leadership? God does. Men, you are not here in that position just because you are the greatest thing on the face of the earth. You are there established by God with a huge responsibility. Something to not be passive, not something to use to your advantage, not something for you to take and to be harsh and to rule over them with an iron fist. God has established you as His leader for your family. You are supposed to be the representative of Christ. And probably the biggest issue in America today, the reason there's dishonor and disrespect in the homes of America is because the men are out somewhere else doing other things they're more concerned with. I know men, I bash men all the time. I am one of them, so it's okay. I'm bashed myself. It's easy for us to get distracted, but God has established us. Ladies, it's not your job to go and deal with your man and straighten him out. You pray for him, you submit to him, and I can tell you something that's even more frightening than you nagging at him all the time. God will straighten your husband out. Because as we've learned through this honor thing, leadership is established by God. Leadership is dealt with by God. 
that kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little bit. To know that I'm going to answer to God with how I run my home. Ladies, you're going to answer to God with how you submit to your husband. Children, you're going to answer to God with how you have obeyed and revered your parents. And when we throw all this stuff out and we ignore it, we have dysfunction. We have chaos. We have men that look at their wife as the weaker partner and women get offended by this. I'm not weak. I'm not weak. No, sweetie, that's not what that's saying. It's saying weakness basically in the sense that us men should probably be able to bench press more than you. That's all that means. Physically, you are weaker. And I know some people say, I'll show you how tough I am. Okay, whatever. Listen, I've seen some little skinny men and I've seen some big bad women too. But the general consensus is, (laughs) the general consensus is, is that on the average, men are stronger than women physically. Can I get an amen? What it's not saying and what men like to throw up and religions all over the world like to throw up is that we're smarter, we're more spiritual, we're better than. We're, that is not what that passage is saying. What that passage is saying is that you're physically stronger, therefore I'm going to make you the head, I'm going to make you the defender, I'm going to make you the protector, I'm going to make you the leader. It doesn't mean that the woman's little and stupid and doesn't know anything. So don't try, men, to be one of those individuals that keeps their wife in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant and their mouth shut where she belongs. Okay? That's not how it happens. The truth of the matter is, is that God created man in his image. He created woman in his image. He created mankind in his image. In the image of man, you're going to find certain qualities that you're not going to find in the image of woman. Men and women see things differently. (laughs) And all the women in the house said? Yes. Men and women see it all differently. Sometimes women think men see nothing at all. So men, as you're single-minded and going about your day, listen to your wife who sees everything. Because God has designed her to see everything. And you have been decided to be focused so that you can take the information, figure out what's most important to deal with, focus on it, and let's go. For you to tell your wife that she has no spiritual input in your family is for you to cut your family's spirituality 50% in half. God has placed in your wife certain things that you need. And ladies, God has placed in your man certain things you need. And he's placed things in both of you that all your kids need. He doesn't need just one... Well, I can raise a kid by myself. I, well, yeah, you can. And I know many people have done it and many have turned out wonderful. But if they're looking back and they're totally honest with themselves, they would have loved to have had some help. And I guarantee you that child would have loved for you to have some help. So men, you have a huge responsibility. You have a responsibility according to Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 33. Write it down, read it later. There's some very clear things that you're responsible to do to teach and to clean and to, to, to bring your family to holiness and to lead them, to treat them as though they're important and valuable. You're not to tell them, men, do as I say and not as I do. Amen. Lastly, fifthly, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, our original text, verse 8, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
Honor is the responsibility of everyone in the home. It's everybody's responsibility. If Amber, go ahead and come. We're going to close this out this morning. I realize it's Mother's Day. You've got a lot of activities going on, but let me just say a few things to you in closing in light of that passage. It's everybody's responsibility. That's not just some random verse. If you notice, we, we went through that passage of Scripture all the way down to that verse, verse 8, saying, following all this stuff about wives and husbands, and now it's saying it's everybody's responsibility. And it says not to repay evil with evil and not to repay insult with insult, but blessing so that you will inherit a blessing, so that you will receive blessing. My final thought this morning to you is this. If you want to restore honor in your home, some of us just need to shut our mouths. Isn't it the hardest thing to do? I have found it's a really short distance from here to here. Amen? I'm so quick to open my mouth. And even sometimes when I'm saying it inside of myself, I'm screaming, No! Shut up! (laughs) And it's coming out in in my mind. It's like, no. Even last night, and I, I I didn't plan to tell our first service this, but I'm telling you this too. Even last night, your pastor got mouthy with his wife. Last night, I, I snipped at my wife. Last night, I no, I didn't beat her. No, I didn't throw things. <laughs> Get over yourself. You act like you never said anything before. I was sitting on my couch, and we were having a discussion, and I got short. And you know that I despise myself for it. And I just wish I would have shut my mouth. Has anybody else ever been there before? Just need to shut my mouth. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Plenty of times, Greg says. Thanks for the support, buddy. <laughs> Me too. I'm not here to tell you today that it's just okay and that's just how it should be. It is not how it should be. I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I get distracted. I get busy. I get my time filled up. And, and I forget my family. And I look up and I don't want to look back someday and and see what the enemy has done to my home and see it decimated. I don't want that. But many of our situations in our home of dishonor and disrespect come from here. And we need to quit paying evil. Every home has some form of evil. Every home has got some form of insult. It may be on one level for one and a lower level for another one. But listen, we all have things we need to work on. Don't look around this room and say, so-and-so needs to hear this. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. This morning, we have got to fight for our families. We've got to fight. If you're here today and you're divorced, I love you. And this isn't some kind of a judgment against you. This isn't some kind of thing to where... Everybody else looks and say, well, see, it's too late, you're failed. No, 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 no. There are victims. Everybody's got chinks in their armor. Everybody's got situations they're dealing with, and I want you to know you're loved. If you're a single mother, a single father raising your kids, this is not here to condemn you. You can have honor in your home. You can teach your children. You can raise them. Is it going to be difficult at times? Yes, it is. 
and, and this church will love you and we'll come alongside you and help you in any way we can. Young person, if your parents are dishonoring you and they're disrespecting you and they don't know Christ and you're struggling with a lot of things, we can be a surrogate family for you, but you still need to submit and love your family. We have to fight for our family. 200 men stayed back when David went to fight for those families. And all those women come back with their children. I would not want to be one of those 200 men when my wife showed up. Oh, you're too tired to come fight for me, huh? <laughs> King David went and got me. Oh, so you got a nice steak cooking. Comfortable, got your feet up. There's something I can do for you. <laughs> Fight, church. Fight with all you have. They, your children are an investment from God, your seed for you to teach and to train and to have with you through all eternity. Don't let the television raise them. Don't let this culture raise them. Don't let this godless culture raise them. Get them fixed in the word of God. Love your family. This morning I'm going to do something that's risque, I know. I'm going to have us pray as families. And I know there's people here that maybe you are divorced. Maybe your family's not here. Whatever. I'm going to be up here with my wife, my kids. And if you are here without family, please come up and join mine. Please. And I, you know, please don't feel like you stand out or that people look down on you for anything. You know I love you and I won't judge you. I never have and I never will. I just think it's time for us to start fighting as families. And every time an evil word or an insult comes out of our mouth towards somebody, we say, ho, 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 ho. I'm not going to return that with cursing. I'm going to return that with blessing. I realize, honey, that you've had a rough day, and I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do to help you? Gentle word turns away wrath, church. Our homes are the hardest place to do it. Stand with me this morning.